0: Ever wondered what powers the world of your favorite superheroes? Dive into understanding superhero comic books, the definitive guide that unravels the mystery. It plunges into the captivating world of spandex, superpowers, and the masterminds who conceive them. Trace the origins and evolution of superhero comics, fueled by influences from Bela Lugosi's enigmatic charm, Errol Flynn's daring exploits, and the early mesmerizing magicians. Witness Batman, Wonder Woman, Captain America, and more as they navigate societal shifts reflecting our world within their epic tales. Buy Alex Grant's Understanding Superhero Comic Books, available now.
1: Welcome back to the Comic Book Historians Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Grant. Today we have another installment in the David Armstrong interview series, part one of two of the Nick Carty interviews. Now, David Armstrong interviewed Nick Carty first in 1998 over at San Diego Comic-Con on set, and then a second time in 2005. In this one, he discusses working at the Eisner Niger Shop, his influences like Gary Cooper, Noel Sickles, working at Fiction House, getting drafted into the Army, Tarzan, Casey Ruggles, how he entered DC Comics, And then also his interactions and observations about Alex Toth, Jack Kirby, Neil Adams, Mike Sikowski, and working with Julie Schwartz and Carmine Infantino, and later working in animation, illustration, and movie posters for New Line Cinema. Thanks to David Armstrong and his foresight, we're able to enjoy these interviews that I was very excited to edit into podcast format. All right, David, take it away. Where were you born?
0: Well, I was born you want me in New York yeah, City, just yeah? A well that's where I was born, yeah. And I was raised there. It was during the Depression.
2: Were your parents where were they born?
0: They were born in Italy. They came over about four or five years before I, you know, was born. My brother and sisters were born there, say so. And what did you father do for a living? Oh, he was a plain laborer, you know. In those days you couldn't get jobs, there was WPA, bread lines, all that sort of thing. How'd you start drawing? When I went to uh, Junior high school, anyone knew that I'd draw, the teachers that were the art teachers would push me. In one class at junior high, they had me and another student do a 4 by 8 mural, and uh, he did one side and I did the other side, and they had it published in the Herald New York World then. It was gone, but they had a big page spread on both these murals, you see, and I was only about 14. And it was great. And then, while I was in school, the art teacher gave me books to read, and that's where I discovered Michelangelo and all these artists. But then I went to a boys club, see, uh, this was in New York City, I went to a boys club. They had an art class there, and I was taking lessons there. And while I was painting there, they had someone come in from the Literary Digest magazine, and they took a photograph of the painting, and they wrote an article about that in there, see. So, it was just a progression type thing, see. Did you have formal training? No, no. Because at that time, we were just barely getting enough food on the table, and they couldn't afford to pay for a, a college or anything like that. See? So uh,
2: so what was your first professional work? What did you get paid for? It?
0: <laughs> the first published. was the first published piece. My first published piece of work was with the Eisner and Iger studio. I was at that studio... For a little while, I was getting $18 a week. And when I got in there, he said, come in, he says, we have the drawing table, but we don't have the tabarets, you know, the part where you put the inks and everything. And he said, you go to a grocery store back there, you look in their back and you get an orange crate. So you put your ink on that and you put your stuff, you know, on top. And he said, because we're expecting new tabarets, you see. And then when I went in and met the fellows, and I saw all these dirty orange crates, I know that they've been there a lot longer. So <laughs> the orange crates. And one one time he came up to me, he said. Nicky says, you look in your pay envelope this week. You got a surprise for you. And I got a 50 cents phrase, you see. So that was a big, <laughs> a big deal. Well,
2: How did you get work at the uh, Eisen shop? How did you hear about
0: it? Eisen was doing the Spirit and Lady Luck and Mr. Mystic. It was a, a little supplement that they put in the papers. And the guy that was doing Chuck Mazuzian was doing the Lady Luck before me, but he got drafted. They got me from the bullpen, and that's where I got doing Lady Luck. I think I was getting $25 a week or something like that. See, those are <laughs> Pretty good money in those days. Oh, well, see, I wanted to be an illustrator, and if you wanted to be an illustrator, you couldn't go out. You, you needed agents and things like that, so the best way to start was from the comics going up. Who were your favorite illustrators? Oh... In those days, I had so many. The people that influenced me in design were like Degas, some of the Impressionists, and some of the uh, classic Renaissance artists for construction. But then when you got to the illustrators, then you got to the polished stuff that sells. Oh, let's see, I had uh, Robert Fawcett, Al Parker, John Woodcomb. They influenced me. When I was at the Boys Club, after uh, the end of the year, they had a lot of these boys exhibit their work and they rented a store near the plaza on Fifth Avenue in New York City. I was sitting in a window with another artist with my back toward the window and we were sketching from the models, some debutantes that were posing. say. Uh, who was standing in back of me was Gary Cooper watching. And he looked at me and winked. I found out later on that he was a cartoonist. He liked to do cartooning, see. So anyway, the, the de- debutants spotted him, and he took off. They took, the models got off the stand, and they took off after him, see. And, well, years went by, and I was at the Iger studio. And as I was coming in from lunch, who was waiting for the elevator but Gary Cooper? And I said, I don't know if you remember me. I was an artist. I was drawing on 50. He said, oh, I remember. You were the kid in the window, see? And he remembered. And so we were chatting, and he said, write to me. And just then the elevator doors opened, and the girls and a couple of guys from uh, the IGA studio, because I was a kid then. IGA had a way of parading some beautiful models or something inside. They always ignored me. when the door opened, and Gary Cooper shook my hand, he said, be in touch. I just floated, <laughs> and uh, that was a moment because nobody ever rubbed off on me like that. You know, <laughs> did did you ever keep up with him? Did you ever get no, I never did. write. Uh, uh, my family used to get after me for writing. You know, but uh, I'm sorry, I didn't because he was a hella nice guy, and I know he went to, in Chicago or somewhere around there to to learn cartooning or art. Good drawing, see. That's while I was doing the Lady Luck strip.
2: How long did you work at the Eisner shop before you ended
0: up doing the, the Lady Luck strip? I don't know, maybe a year or so.
2: You were working for the Eisner shop before you went into the service?
0: Uh, no, after Eisner, I went to work for Fiction House, and I did uh, a feature called Camilla and a few of these other things
2: when you were fiction house did you meet some of the other artists that were working
0: there i i, I can't believe the ones off the bat
2: did you I, see many of those guys socially or did you did you just uh, get
0: your work and go home and that was it uh, yeah that was it we went home because they they scattered all one may live out in long island one may live in uh, brooklyn and uh, you see so uh, i was in manhattan so we all went out different directions. no we didn't socialize too much i got drafted And I went to uh, the 66th Division, which was in Florida. I went through all basic training. They had a competition to see who can draw an emblem for their division. And I went out, and I did a Panther. I don't know if you ever saw a Panther division. Well, I did that for them. And then uh, while I was in the infantry, I did some drawings uh, for the club, officers' clubs. And uh, after a while, what happened was that the general... They have so many divisions in the Corps. Well, the big cheese general came down. He saw the drawings, he says, I want him. So they, they wanted to transfer me to Texas. At uh, the meantime, I had been doing portraits of the general, you know, in uh, in charcoal and stuff like that. And he said, well, we can't send you as a first class private. He says, we'll get a rating." So they found out what rating was open. So the rating that was open was in the motor pool. So then when they sent me to Texas, I got there. All these people were packing to go to the Pacific. And the guy looked at me and says, who are you? I says, uh, I was sent for, uh, he says, well, what do you do? I says, well, I'm an artist. He we don't need any artists. Just, could you do lettering on a duffel bag or something? I said, I don't know anything about lettering. They said, oh, you're uh, in the motor pool. And they assigned me to a tank. I said, I don't even know how to drive a truck. He says, don't worry, we'll teach you. So if you ever see any buildings in Europe that had their corners torn off, that was my driving. You see? (laughs) (laughs) When did you get out of service? Between 45 and 46, around there. Service, I decided to do some illustration. I did a lot of army sketches. I have those, you know, and and some paintings. Then I started doing magazine covers in color, full color. And while I was doing that, I was making samples. The money wasn't coming in, so someone asked me to do the Tarzan Daily Strip. Bern Hogarth called me and said, would you... uh, uh, work so I worked on that for a year on Tarzan daily strips, and then there was another strip called Casey Ruggles, and I did worked on that. That guy was a fine artist, but his work was like Alex Raymond. Warren Tufts. Uh, yeah, Warren Tufts. He was great. I did that for, I don't know how many, week, I don't know if it's a week, a couple of weeks. So
2: did you get a, a kick out of doing a daily strip?
0: When a guy was doing comics, a daily strip was, oh, that was a step for, you know, it's, there's Kniff and there's Alex Raymond. You're getting away from comics. That was great. And the pay was a little better. You see, it was interesting. I would have, I wouldn't mind doing it, but some of them do it, and it just gets to be a bore after a while. You know, you have to do it day in and day out. So. Did you feel restrained by either the deadlines or or the format? Well, the format was very simple. in In a daily, you had the first panel is usually a recap of like a soap opera, is what happened the last chapter, and then the last two. and They they stayed pretty much the same. You know, the only liberty I had, they gave me the script and I interpreted. It. I followed, say, if someone was going to shoot somebody or as an ambush, I would visualize it the way I wanted it. Not the, you know, that sort of thing. I went to D.C., you know, and I did some advertising and I started on Gangbusters. Who are the editors you worked for at D.C.? The first one I worked for was Murray Boltonoff. With him, I did most of the work. Congo Bill, Tomahawk, Daniel Boone. I did a lot of romance stories. There was some of the good work in that romance story well. Those are the main things I did until uh, they came along with Aquaman. And I started the whole series like Book 1 and 2. The others were specialties that they showed, showcases, something like that. And then from there, I went to Teen Titans. After Teen Titans, they got the idea for Batlash, Batlash I enjoyed. My work changed toward the end of Aquaman. It got a lot looser. While I was doing Aquaman, I was also doing Teen Titans. So I think there were bimonthes, so I'm not sure. So at the end, I think the work I can say, I like this. Yeah, I, maybe out of 20 covers, I would say I'd like one. But that Batlash was fun. I worked with Aragonus and Giordano and Carmen Infantino. Did you like the Batlash? Oh, yeah. yeah. I,
2: remember, I even remember the cover. I mean, yeah, I remember yeah. the wanted poster with the blue... Yeah, the that was
0: a showcase. Yeah, that was first.
2: But one of the covers I loved the most was this the snow tomb, one, the one in the, the snow. tombstone.
0: Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Well, that's the story I wrote. That was the one where this little girl gets shot. I like that. But some felt that I put too much humor in it. From what I read in the articles, I didn't know this at the time, but I think the suggestion was that to have it straight and keep the humor in the dialogue but i've heard no complaints everybody liked it so far so apparently i must have done something right
2: i mean you said you wrote the bat story did you write many of the stories that you worked on
0: no that was the only one i try to make him a a rugged uh, old time ronald coleman type not look like him, but a cowboy with the smooth talk with the ladies, you know, and and this little kid, just when he gets to the point where he's going to kiss the girl, this little, little, (laughs) little kid comes up and says, Daddy, and this girl says, you didn't tell me you were married, and smacks him on the head and goes off, you know. I used to like Laurel and Hardy when I was a kid, and so I did a takeoff on Laurel and Hardy, but I didn't make Laurel look like Laurel. I gave him more of a hook nose, but the other one had the derby, but I, I gave them that slapstick, that funeral box thing where they're trying, that sort of thing. And uh, no, but that, that was fun. Or the, sla- the one that people thought was really slapstick, which it was, when the sheriff was taking a bath in his tub and, and they're chasing Batlash and he leaps over this guy going through the window. And as he leaps, it's like you're leaping over a fire hydrant, you know. You, he pushed the sheriff down and went out the window. And then the sheriff forgot his guns, and these guys start shooting through the doors, and he started shooting. You know, it's that sort of slapstick type thing.
2: <laughs> Did you get a kick out of the diversity of the strips you were doing in the early 50s when you first went to D.C.? Because there's a lot of stuff. Alex Toast said he really liked working on romance books because yeah. it was the one thing where you got to show emotion, and you could really spend oh, some yes, time on yes, it. Oh, yes,
0: yes, with the romance. You could get nice, dramatic, beautiful poses. You could get the shadows. You could take a romance, which is a very dry sort of thing, and you could build it up, add the momentum through the different panels, either by shading or by close-ups. or you develop it. It's like a piece of music. For the big bang, you lead up to it. You know what I mean? And and uh, uh, that was good. But the favorites, uh, two of my favorites, the three of my favorites were, the brave and bold with uh, uh, the black canary. Brave and Bold with the the Shroud where they're in London Fog or something. And another one was with the Teen Titans, the Rebels in the Street or something like that. That was all shadows, you see, where in Aquaman and Teen Titans, sometimes I got shadows. When I look back, some of it doesn't look too bad. Some, the earlier ones, I had a lot of tickling in it. Tickling, I mean, is a lot of little detail. Later on, I just made simple lines and... Uh, that's what I loved about Alex Toth's work. He was a master. I think he was uh, he was fantastic. I, I, I think he was one of the greats, one of a kind, including Kirby and uh, Neil Adams. I like Neil Adams' work, I love Kirby's work. This guy was an individualist. He was, he'll take a scene, he'll simplify it, simplify it, get rid of all stuff that wasn't unnecessary, beautiful design, it took guts. He would, cut, he would put black over half a panel and put the tiny figures in the corner. If I showed that to my editor, he says, Look, what's all this black space, you know? Got to fill up the panel. Yeah. Yeah. I know everyone wants to fill up there, the panel. There's one story where Mike Sikowski was a very difficult person to understand, but we got along. I was delivering a job to Murray Boltonov, and Mike Sikowsky came in, and he just delivered a 24-page story. And Murray Bolton looked at it and says, geez, Mike, this is the awfulest stuff I've ever seen. He says, you you rushed you rushed it. He says, well, he said you wanted it in a hurry, see. So then he gave him another script. He says, look, take your time on this, see. At about that time, Mike Tsikowski had gotten married. So I was invited to his house for, you know, uh, dinner or something. <laughs> and on the shelf, there were the 24 pages that were finished. I said, when did you finish that? He says, oh, a couple of days ago. And he says, I'm holding it for a week. You see, <laughs> then he's going to take it to Murray Boltonov. So I was there when he took it to Murray Boltonov, see. And I was waiting for a reaction. <laughs> when Murray Boltonov looked at them, he said, gee, Mike, now isn't that much better? <laughs> he took the same amount of time. So. But I always, when I think of that poor guy, he really... <laughs> Sikaassi so apparently was very fast, oh, he was fast he I think he was in the in the Kirby school. They had a system of how he drew an arm or how he drew the drapes or on the trousers on a leg, and every one of them had the same format, and he had it as if a mental printout on what to be done with me. I had to struggle with the figures all the time, you know this angle isn't right, the balance in the body isn't right, but everything he did it was very easy to ink if I had to ink it. Oh, As you look yeah. at Sickles' work, especially on Scorchie Smith, oh. I mean, it's the most efficient line ever Oh, seen. yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I knew Noel Sickles. His early work didn't influence me that much. His later work, the thing that he did for Reader's Digest, the little things with magic markers, he had a feeling of line. Uh, that I used instead of a lot of shadows. In Batlash, you see a lot of thick and thin lines, you know. And I figured I'd try it. It depends. If there were shadows, I made shadows. But no, he was great. A lot of the new artists, I don't mean to tear them down, they're very competent, you see, and they're good artists. But we used to have a form of design, and these fellows have a form of design. Now, say, for example, you have a figure here in front. Then you're going to show buildings in the background that would be this way. A lot of them, what they do, anything that's in the background, they usually give their blacks in the background the same value as the ones in front. It doesn't fall back. You see what I mean? It comes close, or they have a shadow. A shadow would run into another shadow. Therefore, on some of them, you have to look for the drawing, even though it's beautifully done. It's It, it doesn't have the simplicity of the z- a design like a totes would do it, or, or a Degas would do it. The, the form is there, you see. And uh, that disturbs me because they have so much talent it's just one or two little things that uh, the illustrators used to say give a lot of air around the figures or make sure there's a depth things in design it's like uh, i don't know if you're familiar with beethoven music or anything like that they have a soft movement they have a a loud movement then they have the wind up but everything is built if it have a three-note thing that three-note would be repeated throughout. When things go too scattered, you can't concentrate on a story because basically what it is is telling a story. And you're a movie director, and you're trying to put your pictures in their minds. You don't want it to be a series of single illustrations. You want it to be a story that follows, you see. And that's the basic thing.
2: It's interesting you say that because, you know, the, particularly the Italian filmmakers use color and tone and light to help tell the dramatic end of the story,
0: yeah. did you ever get to influence coloring at all in any of your books? No, I didn't, because there's a lot of them I would have liked to. Oh, well, incidentally, this guy, Alan René, was a fan of mine. He came up to see me, and, and Fellini. He's the only guy I ever saw that looked exactly like me. I figured, God, there can't be two of us <laughs> on the same planet. No, it's nice, because I got to doing storyboards later on, see, for, uh, for advertising and uh a couple of the editors you worked for, did uh, you work for Julius Schwartz at all? I, yeah, I, I did some work with Julius Schwartz on Superman, I think. I never drew the Superman in the book, I just mainly the covers. But the covers were pretty much controlled by Carmine Infantino. But Carmine loved my work so much that he gave me free reign to design. That's why the, the Aquaman covers toward the end were were different, where I'd have the logo on the bottom. We'd have the stalagmites, you know, and the, he's standing on that. And the, in the old days, you can do that, see. So, so nice. things changed a lot, uh, well, yeah. like when, when Carmine came in. Yeah I, yeah, I had a lot, a lot more freedom. In fact, Julie tells a, s- a story. He said, the thing I remember about you is that you had delivered a cover. It was in my office, and Carmine was there. Carmine says, Nick, this isn't the cover I designed. And I supposedly said, this is a better cover. And Carmine said, you're fired. And so then uh, whatever happened, I went outside or something. Then Julie Schwartz says, Carmine, who are you going to get to do your covers now? He says, all right, call Nick back. <laughs> but we, Carmen and I always got along fine.
2: But, I mean, did you have any interaction with any of the kind of
0: uh, the other comic artists yeah that?
2: i mean did you i mean i did the, you, you mean you like socially freelance from from kind of from, from uh, yeah i, I yeah
0: i was always freelance and the only way i met the fellas was if we happened to cross paths while we were delivering jobs and that's the way we i talked to toast cubit and all the other fellas you know and, and that's how we got to know each other but some of them socialize i think uh, Cubitt, New Carmine, and and a few of the groups, uh, they went together, you know. No, I didn't, I just went in, did my job, came back. I looked at their work, but there wasn't any comic people that influenced me, it was mainly the art directors that influenced me from the movies. Remember that movie, and then there were none, where they they got in a boat and one scarf blows, the smoke blows, and, and he had a beautiful way of leading people into the story, through the characters, into the stories. That was my meat. And if I wanted any polish in my drawing, I would look for the illustrators, not the cartoonists, you see. Did
2: you ever see any of the stuff that you actually did storyboards for materialize as a commercial or as a... Oh,
0: I worked for several companies. And I did one for Match Belly. I did one series of drawings that made me feel like a vivisectionist. It was an animatic type thing where they take the camera and they take one shot and they move the picture up and they take another shot. So I had to do Lily Tomlin and one for uh, Peter Sellers. Lily Tomlin was supposed to be the little girl part. You remember that scene she always had to play? I had to draw a face and two sets of eyes one open and one closed. Two different mouths that were separate. One was smiling, one was ready to eat a chip, and another one where the chip goes in. Then I had to have two arms, one coming up with the potato chip where they do it. If I sneezed while I was drawing, those pieces would have gone to all. I had all these cut out pieces on a piece of paper and I handed something. to and uh, that was that was nerve wracking. Did you play with paper dolls when you were kid? <laughs> Jesus, that's what worried me when I was doing this. Here. Yeah, yeah where that where that arm go? You know, you look at papers. You know. So do you paint now? Oh yeah, I I did some uh, Western paintings that were in a gallery in Texas for a while. They were about twenty four by thirty six, and they were a Western scene where this soldier is fighting with an Indian and they're going off a cliff. But I went to West Point, I got all the reference on the costumes, on the Indians things. My paintings were as good as, or better than some of the the old ones, you see. The only thing, I was a newcomer.
2: Do you think that you've learned more about story than you would have if you had been
0: a fine artist? Well, uh, it's a complete different field. Fine artist is concentrating on one picture. This is a concentration of 24 pages, and you had to spread that picture so it makes a general theme of what you're doing. So you have a lot of pictures. You know, in a symphony, you have movements, first movement, second movement. This has 24 movements. You have pages, you know. And sometimes, in those days, when I started, they were restricted to six panels on a page square. Then later on, somebody stuck a foot out of a frame. Then later on, they put the whole foot out, you know. And then they started stretching the frames they tilted them they spread them across two pages you see then they started getting a little more liberal
2: are there any characters or stories that you would have liked to have done in you done?
0: i did daniel boone i got satisfaction of the backgrounds and the the scenery and the, and the costumes i always did a lot of research and uh that was one, Janet, gener- you'd like to do that for a little while, but then enough's enough. And then I'd like to do Aquaman, but that was too much after a while, you know. Then the Teen Titans was one. I, first of all, I didn't care too much. Uh, I'm, I'm committing sacrilege, but I never cared too much for men in law underwear, you know, the, the costumes wear. I, I liked straight illustration. That's why I like the Brave and Bold, because I could get Black Canary and a beautiful girl in a dress without a costume. And have a good-looking guy, Batman, before he's in his costume, and you could have nice shadows, and that was illustrating. Because that led me to my goal, you see. And that's when I got into uh, illustration. That's a different uh, story, if you want to. Well, Teen Titans, too, you got to remember all the costumes. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a, a lot of costume. Even now, after... I stayed away from comics for about 20 years. Then when I came back and somebody said, could you draw Mira?" mirror? I says, I don't know what the costume looks like. I have to get... Even now, when I'm out there, I'm drawing something. I have to get the costume to see if I do it right, you know? You come back to it, and there are all these oh, people at yeah. well, the convention. Well, I mean, it's... Well, you, like, you think of this world? Well, you know, the funny thing is, I was looking, as comics, as a stepping stone... To going into illustration. Then when I did go into illustration, uh, well, it was all right, but the people that remembered me were the ones from comics. And I was saying, well, this is a step up the ladder. Uh, this is more, you know, uh, art. And I started uh, just pushing away from comics. But then I found out my real friends were in the comic. See? So I I did it about face, you know. Could have been a timing thing. Oh, yeah. The the
2: golden age age of illustration really was in the 20s, 30s.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I mean, there aren't that many magazines that did print illustration anymore.
0: At the time I started getting interested in illustration, they started going into using a lot of photographs. But I got into the uh, movie poster. I had a couple of agents that were taking me. I did jobs for Volkswagen and all the way up and down the ladder. In illustration, they have maybe about three or four hundred artists that are top illustrators. Uh, The majority of them use uh, balapagans to enlarge a photograph. They reproduce that photograph. I figured my odds as a newcomer was very difficult. So I loved humor, and there weren't too many. So by the time I concentrated on humor, I was bucking maybe 175, 100 people that were in the humor field, see? So my odds were a little better. I did quite a few, I did one for Meatballs 2. My first movie poster was uh, called The Street Fighter, and it was a karate thing. I did a lot of work on that, but uh, it was a lot of violent stuff. But then the guy says, we want to show some blood. I said, I never showed blood. I fought like mad because in the movie, this guy, the hero, actually tears a guy's throat right out. You see, I'm not going to show that, you know. But then I did put a little trickle of blood. Then they had a write up in uh, some artist magazine about the violence, <laughs> and they showed that painting. <laughs> During the twenty years that you were not involved with the, the comic book business, you think to yourself, ah, oh, you know. This illustrations for the birds, I want to go back to comics. No, I tell you because each illustration was a different assignment. The others had repetition. There I felt I'm starting like I did with comics. Now that I'm working illustration, I'm trying to improve it. And there were a lot of good guys out there, Jesus and But when I did the thing for Big Bertha, I met the girl that was the actual model for this. and uh, She was on 57th Street in New York City. and I walked by and I I said, oh, Kitty, I, uh, I know you. She said, who are you? I said, I did the poster for the, for, she said, that's the best part of the whole movie. And I said, I want you to know that I didn't get paid for it yet. And she says, I want you to know we didn't get paid for it yet, the actors, you see. So then when I did another job for New Line, they owed me over $900 that they didn't pay. So I took them a to small claims court. Uh, finally, they started giving me money. Then they came along, they said, we want you to do the Bad News Bears. And I figured, oh, this is another one of these jobs, you know, and I said, no. Then I found out Jack Davis did it. And I think he was getting about $5,000 for it. The way they used to do it in the movie posters was that they get three artists that are humorous artists, or one or two, and they get you to paint the whole thing. And they'll pay you, say, uh, it varies according to the artist. If Bob Peak did it, it would be uh, thirty dollars, you know, something. And if they select yours, then they would double the price, and you get that. But to me, the biggest honor was when I was doing a post. I did some for Apocalypse now and I did another one for some other company. The originals are on the floor, and right alongside me was Bob Peak and a few of the other guys. I said, geez, I made it. I don't care if they sell the poster. I'm in the, I'm right competing with Bob Peake. Well, he always got, oh, got it, but uh, it was a good feeling to know that. It Sometimes was, Bernie Fuchs. Does it. Oh yeah, Bernie Fuchs, Bob Peake, and uh, a, few, a few of the others, you know, that uh, they were great, great, uh, great artists. Too.
2: You enjoyed your, everything that you've done in the business?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I feel more of an enjoyment now because I find that other artists who I respect like my work, and the new artists said uh, that I influenced them, and that's that's a big plus. I figured maybe I did something right. You know, when uh, when uh, Neil Adams come up to me like uh, during the the award, he says uh, during the award, I think I mentioned something, and I didn't think anybody remembered. And Neil Adams said, don't worry, Nick, a lot of people remember you, and he says, you're one of my favorite artists, and another guy comes along and said, you were this. And, and uh, like Charlie, Charlie Vest came up and uh, said, you know, so you get people that you respect that say that uh, they like your work, that's a reward enough, you know, see? so that's, that made me feel good.